Like making wort is not, I don't want to be rude, but it's not that hard. Pitfalls, I don't know, it's a tough one. I think keeping morale high when you're that busy and you have a team that large, I think it's, you know, you got to still make it exciting to come to work. We're seeing an interesting trend right now of loggers resurging, light alcohol beer, things less than 4%. If you're growing that rapidly, it takes one bad batch to, let's say, blow up on a shelf or turn sour. And I think that's a really good way to, you know, ruin your brand or really stop your momentum. Welcome to Another Round with Plato, the podcast that gives you an insight into fermentation. Today, our talk is with Donovan Fast, the head brewer of 88 Brewing in Calgary, Canada. They have a unique branding which really stands out and is one of the reasons why they have seen a 20% increase of sales year after year. Now, the rapid growth has its challenges and Donovan shared these challenges with us in this episode. It is uh, a great pleasure to welcome all the way from Calgary, Canada, Donovan Fast, head brewer of 88 Brewing. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. So, uh, yeah, we, we talked about it. We've done, done a little bit of talking before this uh, this episode. And uh, and we Norwegians, we have a, a fairly uh, bad memories from Calgary and the Olympics back in 88. Mm. Uh, the only Winter Olympics where we didn't win any gold medal. Just go just goes to show how uh, how um, spoiled we are in this country. <laughs> but, yeah, I, don't but, think, I don't think we did either. <laughs> no. <laughs> so so it's, it seems to be uh, in the same boat for, for the both of us there but uh uh tell me tell me donovan um how about a little bit of your your background because uh now of course you're a head brewer of 88 um but uh, you, you've been in the industry for for quite some time yeah i've been in the industry pretty much my entire adult life uh, coming up on close to 15 years now uh so mm. yeah i'll just kind of do a quick little history here i grew up in a small farming town outside of uh winnipeg manitoba and my town had maybe 500 people and uh Dad was a mechanic and uh, an entrepreneur. And uh, yeah, I was, you know, school was kind of my social life. So I just went to school, hung with my friends, and I kind of enjoyed the sciences. I uh, ended up in university in Manitoba mm. and I took my general science degree. And the path was medicine, uh, med school. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to become a doctor, <laughs> as funny as that sounds. So after a few years in school and uh, writing the medical entrance exam, um, I know I started feeling maybe this wasn't for me and, uh, yeah, I had a professor one day just kind of say like, Hey, not everyone makes it. What's everyone's backup plan. And mm. so I said, Hey, that's a good idea. And I really thought of it that way. Like my whole idea was just like, yeah, this is what I was going to do. So, yeah. um, yeah, for one of my courses for a credit, we actually like for a lab program, we actually took a brewery tour in Winnipeg and, uh, yeah. that's really what sparked it. I saw a brewery for the first time. I was a rural kid. I was drinking macro beer, you know? <laughs> and uh at the small bar we had and this is my first really exposure to craft beer and mm. uh it really sparked an interest so um that's kind of really how it happened uh, i focused on microbiology in university i graduated with a major in microbiology and um yeah i got a summer job at a craft brewery i helped them work on their lab program um i did yeast quality management quality control uh plating all sorts of boring stuff while the brewers mm. were having fun and having beers downstairs. So I was like, Hey, I, can I learn that? And, uh, I kind of just worked my way up from bottling deliveries, cellaring, cleaning tanks, running the filter, and eventually became a full-time brewer at this brewery in Winnipeg called half pints brewing. Mm. So half pints brewing in Winnipeg was, yeah, my first full-time brewing job. And that would have been in, Oh goodness. 2011. I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah, then, you, you've gone the whole the whole route, like you like you said. From of course, not everybody starts in the lab, but uh, you know, from delivery and and packaging and and all the way to where you are are now. Um, mm-hmm. What what has been some of the the um, uh, the things that you did not expect to learn or do when you were working in the lab versus what you have done in this journey that's been twelve uh, years in the making now? Uh, I think there's this idea and like, I don't want to shut anyone down from following their dreams, but I think there's this idea that like being a brewer is like the end game. Everyone wants to work at a brewery and become the brewer. Yeah. But what I find is everything up to that point, or let's say after that point, like making work is not, I don't want to be rude, but it's not that hard (laughs) and it's hard work. Don't get me wrong. It's very hard work. And you have to be meticulous, but it's everything downstream. It's the cold side. It's the cellaring. It's the transfers. It's the, uh, you know, aseptic techniques. It's keeping things clean. It's uh, keeping oxygen low. It's the tight processes that happen downstream that I never really thought of before I worked at a brewery. And, and you know, even a man of science, I just like never thought about it. I was like, oh, you, you know, stir the mash tun and you add some hops and you have beer. Yeah. So what I didn't realize is how much my scientific background, my microbiology background would come into play in terms of creating clean, um, you know, quality product. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it's easy to forget. um how much of of the the process is actually the the microbiology uh, side of things in pretty much any aspect of what we do uh, up until uh, up until boiling and uh, and after that then uh, it's even more uh, uh, crucial for for the process mm-hmm. yeah exactly and so i think that's something i didn't know going into i didn't probably nothing about brewing when i got my first brewing job so <laughs> i learned everything on the run i uh, read a lot of books took some online courses and uh yeah, just learn along the way, and I think that really helped me just understand how it all works on a hands hands on level. Mm. Yeah, and then uh, you worked at Half Pint for for a while, uh, and then uh, in in two thousand and eighteen uh, or two thousand and seventeen, I guess it was uh, when you were first uh, approached uh, about uh, building up eighty eight. Yeah, and actually, there's a little in between phase there where yeah. uh, I ended up in Europe. And uh, I had an opportunity to uh, do some traveling. So I left my uh, job at Half Pints and I ended up in Hamburg, Germany. And I got a job, lucky, you know, started knocking on doors, talking to some people. And I got hired at a startup craft brewery called Landgang Brewing. And Mm. so I actually worked at Landgang Brewing for a couple of years in Hamburg and they were a brand new startup. Um, I was there for their grand opening and uh, I helped their head brewer, Sasha, for a couple of years. And we were doing everything ourselves. It was kegging, cellaring, brewing, bottling, just the two of us for a while. And it was uh, it was a grind and it was a lot of fun. And I learned more there than I think I did in my previous three years. It was uh, <laughs> it was really cool. It was an amazing brewing system, an amazing community. And I uh, I miss Hamburg a lot. And yeah, so I was actually brewing in Hamburg for a couple of years before I was approached by 88. So, so what were some uh, as uh, as someone has that has experienced both the European brewing scene and the American brewing scene? Was it what is sort of the the biggest difference between uh, North American brewing scene and uh, and the European brewing scene? I, I mean, in terms of macro beer, there's major differences, right? You, you're a very lager and like historical, um, yeah, the huge beer beer history in Europe, especially Germany, and uh, the lagers are um, reveled as some of the best beers in the world, right? And in North America, we're looking at adjunct lagers and rice beers and corn beers and like flavorless beers that are rushed through production and sold mass, like at mass. And in Germany, I find that even like the mass produced beers are quality product. They're pure. They have their purity law, the Reinheitsgebot. And I think that was a, a hurdle was coming from America or North American craft beer. We can add whatever you want to beer 
to yeah. uh, coming to Germany where they literally literally had authorities that could pull your beer off shelves if it was labeled as beer and it wasn't a pure product. <laughs> yeah, there there is something to say about the the old uh, history of of beer culture in in Europe for for good and for uh, for bad, of course. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so you're and then after a while you're you're done at the, in Hamburg and and you move back to Canada. Yeah, so uh, I had a work and travel visa for my first year, and for my second year, my company sponsored me in to stay there, and uh, so that was nice. I was kind of panicking after one year. I was like, oh, I'm not ready to go home, and so they uh, they really put their necks out for me and stuck up for me and got me in there. And then, uh, yeah, as my second visa was coming to an end, I was like, okay, it's time to go back to Canada. I can't live here forever, and it's just you know it's time to go back to my family, my friends, and. Uh, So anyways, I came from Winnipeg and my folks lived in rural Manitoba, just outside of Winnipeg. And I don't know, I wasn't ready to quite go back to Winnipeg. I figured Canada is such a huge country. There's got to be, uh, there's got to be more out there. There's bigger cities with bigger beer scenes and more to experience. I was like, you know, let's, uh, let's learn something new, meet some new people. So I was looking in BC, I was looking at Vancouver, Victoria, I was looking in Montreal, I was looking in Toronto. Um, I was kind of keeping my ear to the ground all over Canada. I had a few job offers throughout, but nothing really stuck and uh mm. a friend of mine met one of the founders of 88 and uh they were having a chat in calgary and uh my name came up and so my buddy calls me i'm sitting on my couch in hamburg and he goes hey uh, would you move to Cal- uh, calgary and i have no friends in calgary had no uh, family there and i was like hmm, i never really thought of it so i was like let me do a little bit of research and so i did a quick google and i was like it's uh not a lot of breweries there right now but it seems like it's up and coming and it's a, a rad city so i took a leap i said sure i'm in so couple of video interviews, couple of phone calls. And, uh, before you know it, I was on a plane to uh, Calgary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and of course, um, uh, we mentioned it in the top to the start here, the, the Olympics in the 88s and, and that is sort of the, the name behind the, the brewery, right? Yeah. And that's why I chose 88 or, you know, they chose me essentially, but why I agreed to go there. I love the brand. I was, I was caught immediately. I was like, the name's Mm. cool. The idea is cool. The people are cool. So yeah, 88 brewing is named after the 88 Olympics. It was a huge year for Calgary, put us on the map, neon colors, bright colors, cool ski suits, Mm. you know, so we really just, uh, yeah, we embrace that. We, uh, we try to have cool branding and bright colored cans and um, really just use the eight, the eighties as a, a rad time. because I feel like it's often forgotten. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. And, and you started up, uh, and the whole focus in the beginning was, was Belgian from my understanding. Yeah. That's a funny, that's a funny <laughs> background to think about. It seems like a lifetime ago. Yeah. When I first moved there, there was maybe one or two IPAs on the, uh, on the portfolio and the rest, we had Belgian doubles, Saison's, uh, wit beers and, um, yeah, just, table beers very belgian centric branding with uh 330 mil bottles like the long neck bottles and uh, it was very niche and it was very uh, craft you know we had a forehead yeah. bottling machine it was very slow moving but we were putting out like products that weren't on the shelves in calgary yet mm. but you know it's uh, it was slow moving and uh, we were a new brewery so we had to convince people that hey we're legit we're here to party so <laughs> Yeah, and of and of course with the kind of, of branding that Idiot has as well, with the, the colors and the very like uh, very um, uh, expressive uh, branding, uh, I guess even myself as a as a huge Belgian fan can understand that that might not be tying into <laughs> tying into a, a classic guess I saw maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Bright colors don't exactly scream Belgian table beer, no. right? <laughs> but I mean, they're beers for brewers. Like brewers and yeah. industry folk really enjoyed those products. But you know, the uh, the consumer wanted IPAs, they wanted hazies, they wanted sours. Mm. 
and and that's a little bit where you yeah, where you've gone over and and what is sort of the bread and butter for for 88 uh, now as well and you've seen a a pretty big uh, increase year by year as well since the beginning yeah of course so starting off we had maybe well like i said one or two we had an ipa and we had a hazy or hazy pale ale in our portfolio and now we have generally you know 15 to 18 beers on tap at the tap room and i would say half of them at least are hazies or ipas these days and uh mm. It's just a pivot to what the consumer wanted. Uh, we played our strengths. We were good at it. We, uh, you know, not to sound, <laughs> you know, confident, but uh, yeah, we established ourselves with a reputation in Calgary that these guys put out IPAs, they put out hazies, they put out aromatic beer, they put out juicy beer. And uh, so, yeah, we really pivoted away. We still kept a couple of Belgian beers on the, uh, on the portfolio, um, stayed to our roots for a bit. And then, yeah, we really pivoted into sours, fruited sours, IPAs, hazies, um, you know, stouts, things like that, uh, dessert stouts in the winter, just, yeah. you know, kind of inspired from, let's say like great notion, modern times, um, breweries like that, that are known for big, hazy, juicy IPAs or, um, you know, dessert, dessert stouts. Mm. Yeah. And, and I guess, uh, with the importance that, uh, that packaging has, uh, for those kind of beers as well, I, I guess, uh, a mastery in microbiology is, uh, a nice tool to have in the toolbox as well. That's nice. Yeah, we have a little lab program set up at the brewery. Um, we're producing, you know, pretty high volumes right now, so it's uh, it's always nice to know the product you're putting out is clean. Mm, yeah, and 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 uh, yeah, this this growth is happened quite quite rapid for you as well. When you started up, uh, you were two people, uh, and in just five years, you're now twelve in the uh, in the brewing side of the operation. Um, uh, how has the how has you how ha, how have you <laughs> uh ensured quality and uh, and sort of a a rapid growth combined with uh a quality insurance uh for for 88 yeah i think that that's actually one of the hardest things we had to uh to learn on on the go is uh, yeah so when we first started it was just myself and my colleague carson uh when 88 started they essentially hired two head brewers myself and uh mm. a colleague of mine and uh yeah the two of us ran it for the first whatever half year and then we started bringing on more people as we grew and grew and uh, then we each kind of fell into different roles. Uh, I, you know, I would manage production and he would manage, let's say, logistics of production. Mm. And so the two of us started running things for more of a, uh, let's say, hands-off approach. Well, we hired people to run the day-to-day so that we could focus on the growth and the projects mm. and quality control. And so, yeah, as, as we started growing and getting larger, it was things like Carson and I would be in charge of, okay, we need more tanks. Okay, we need more tools. We need, uh, we need you know. Uh, a grain silo. We need a canning machine. You know, we mm. used to contract can with mobile canning. We used to uh, we used to source out our lab work because we were growing so fast. We actually hired a third party company to come in, sample our tanks, um, run it in their own lab, and then just send us the results mm. because we didn't have time or the money at that point to uh, you know establish a proper in house lab program. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess with uh, with so much happening at the same time, it's uh, some some things just have to be prioritized. So, so how do you know, or how did you know, uh, what part of the brewery to to focus on uh, when you had this growth? Uh, the first thing is, um, I would say, capacity. You need fermentation capacity to build inventory. You can't sell beer if you don't have inventory, right? So, mm. um, especially once COVID hit, it was interesting because. Uh, like the beer sales increased exponentially once COVID hit. People were at home. Um, they're buying local beer. It was insane. Like the the local beer scene was 
it was cruising. Uh, people were at home and buying beer online and getting it shipped to their houses. And you could come to the tap room and buy off the shelves. And there was a period, I, I want to say it was two weeks. I can't remember exactly, but we had no beer on our shelves. Yeah. We were absolutely sold out. And that's a good problem to have. But now you're, you know, you're panicking to catch up. So our biggest thing was increased tank capacity so that we could, you know, have more inventory. So put more tanks in, brew more beer, in, uh, hire more brewers, increase the schedule. And then, yeah, at this point, we're still contract canning. And when the pandemic hit, all the breweries were contract canning. So you had this one mm. company in town that had a few canning machines and it was hard to get a time slot. It was yeah. like you're trading with your colleagues. Hey, I'll trade you Tuesday for Thursday. I'll trade you Wednesday for Friday. Like my beer's ready. I need it out of the tank. So um, right before all that happened, we actually put in a deposit on a canning machine and our canning machine showed up just in time. So mm. we were able to just pivot from you know, half and half keg to can production to just a hundred percent cans. So mm. draft, draft, uh, draft beer was gone and it was just a hundred percent cans. And so with increased production and adding a canning line that we could can whenever we want and as many as we wanted, that was a huge, huge addition to our, uh, our success. Mm. Do you, do you think that, uh, when you're running in, in, uh, in the pace that you're running, that there is always going to be this bottleneck that you're going to, to have to deal with? Or when do you think that you will come to a point where, um, everything is the, the proper scale throughout the brewery for, uh, for the demand that you have? Yeah, I think we're approaching that now. We're still seeing positive growth, which is encouraging. Um, but I think that we're now approaching that point that, hey, we're not like we're not killing ourselves. We're not dying. We have a good a good <laughs> flow of packaging dates and brew dates. And I think we have a really good team right now where we're like, let's say slightly overstaffed. So there's a bit of uh, a bit of a backboard there, a safety net. You know, someone's mm -hmm. sick or someone takes holidays. Uh, we have a really good crew right now. And I think we're we're approaching that now where we're not running around like chickens with their heads cut off. You know, it's uh <laughs> I feel like we were approaching that. The last few years seemed crazy. It was mm. insane growth. And uh, it just felt like everything was on fire all the time. And yeah. <laughs> uh, I think now we're starting to feel that, hey, we kind of figured this out. We're in a good groove. We have a good team. And uh, yeah, I think we're feeling pretty good right now. Yeah. Things are good. So, so, so when you're running around, uh, <laughs> uh, isn't it, uh, with like headless chickens, uh, it might not be easy to, uh, evaluate the situation that you're, you're currently in, but now that you've gotten a little bit of, of, uh, of space between, uh, the chaos and where you are now, uh, what are some of the pitfalls that you experienced with, uh, the rapid growth that you've had in the brewery? Um, I think pitfalls, I don't know, that's a tough one. I think keeping morale high. When you're that busy and you have a team that large, I think it's, you know, you got to still make it exciting to come to work. And as you mentioned earlier, our bright branding and our colorful, you know, kind of advertising, we try to maintain that in our internal culture as well. Um, mm -hmm. We try to, you know, be a fun environment to work and have fun events. And we just, you know, have staff events and we try to we try to keep morale high, I think is the biggest thing is uh, keep your people happy and uh, make the workplace fun, hire good people that can joke around and laugh and you know, blow off some steam here and there. Um, yeah. So I think like as far as major growth goes, the biggest pitfall was just, you know, keeping everyone happy and involved. And because, <laughs> you know, it's hard to everyone's like, hey, I want more responsibility. But I'm just like, we don't have time for that right now. I need you here. <laughs> we need to make beer, package beer. And so, yeah, I think morale and personnel would be the biggest one off the top of my head. Yeah. And uh, have you done uh, anything to to help boost morale? Some stories you want to share with us that uh, that has really worked for you guys? 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. We during pandemic, for example, we uh, when all the brew or the stores were closed and uh, bars were closed and you couldn't really socialize. Everything was kind of locked down. We mm. have a, a storage bay where we store our um, our dry our dry goods, our grain, our uh, packaged product, things like that. And we actually set up a large projector screen, a Nintendo sixty four, put some Mario Kart yeah. on. We got a couple leather couches in there and. We just kind of had this little speakeasy offsite of the brewery that you could go and kind of blow off some steam after work. And, um, you know, before you go home and just have to sit with the doors closed, you could hang out with your <laughs> colleagues and you're not working, you're playing video games, you're having a couple of beers. It was a, I think that was a really good memory during the last five years. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, we've, we have talked about it in some previous episodes as well, the the importance of, of mental health. And uh, I think it's... Uh, I think it's important to to remember that uh, it doesn't always have to be like this grandiose uh, experience, the thing you do. It can be like just a simple thing, like you you said, just uh, make make um, some free time available for people to enjoy themselves together without having to uh, to uh, to work, but do it at work and I yeah, exactly a morale booster. Yeah, it, try try to be friendly with everyone. You know, it's like not your colleagues don't always have to be your friends, but no. <laughs> you know, it's easy to be friendly. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 true. And um, I don't know if it happened before uh, COVID or if it happened during um, uh, COVID, but uh, not only not only uh, the um, the people employed have an uh, a pride in in eighty eight, but uh, you mentioned that. that People actually now see 88 as uh, almost like a lifestyle brand uh, and not only a brewery. Uh, how has that happened that the regional pride has has shown through to the brewing? I don't know, man. It's wild. Like, it's cool. I go grocery shopping or I walk down, you know, I'm walking down the sidewalk in the evening and there's someone wearing an 88 sweater, an 88 hat. It's uh, it's really neat. Uh, some people have mentioned that we're a brand that sells beer. And I'm like, that's not a bad way to look at it. It's kind of yeah. neat. So yeah, we wanted to be a very, um, like uh, what's an institution in Calgary. We want people mm. to be, they want, we want them to see 88 as uh, you know, synonymous with Calgary. Mm. And uh, we've done a few lifestyle events. Like every Tuesday at the brewery, we have a, a run club. You, uh, you meet at the brewery, you go jog around town, you come back, you have a pint and you know, mm. we have 1988, uh, sports club merchandise and mm. uh then there's a cycling club and we do um off-site tournaments bowling lawn bowling um volleyball and you know things like that and just try to you know encourage people like it doesn't always have to be about sitting around drinking beer no nope. <laughs> right and so uh, community is a big aspect of what we try to maintain mm. and it, it seems like you're, you're doing a good job in uh, in maintaining and increasing that as well with uh with a fairly marketable theme for the brewery as well, I would say. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I, I would agree with that. And I think that a, a cool thing is like everyone needs a, neat, a cool home base. And so most of our beer is sent out into the world, draft lines, accounts, store shelves. But if you come to our tap room, it's very, you know, we have neon lights set up and there's pictures of uh, old newspapers and from the from the Olympics and there's uh, sun ice jackets hanging on the wall. And mm-hmm. uh, I think it's just like there's a, a good nostalgic aspect of walking into the tap room as well. That uh, you know brings people together, and if you have someone from out of town, it's like, oh, let's go to '88. You know, it's uh, it's really cool. Yeah. So I think it's really important to have kind of a home base that brings people together as well. Yeah, the, it's uh, in in the bubble that sometimes can can surround the craft beer scene. It's uh, not always easy to see and remember the fact that most people aren't craft beer nerds. The majority of people are just people. <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, def- and- Sorry, go ahead. 
Yeah, and just saying that um, that um, uh, branching out and and being like a a brand selling beer it might uh, might be something that can really help um, uh, the turnover and the exposure of the of the brewery as well. Yeah, that's definitely something we've realized over the years is uh, it's not craft beer nerds coming in. Like you get those as well. And we're all craft beer nerds. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, yeah, like our demographic is it was hard to it's hard to explain. It's all it's all ages. It's it's uh, it's all sorts of different walks of life. And uh, what we realized is we need to expand our portfolio. So we started getting into um, like uh, ready to drink vodka sodas. So we have, you know, you can have uh, vodka lemonade on tap. You can have a grapefruit you know, vodka soda on tap. We now package this product in cans. It's, we make cider. Um, we import apples from BC and we ferment our own cider and package it. And I think other than just being a brewery, you need to become a beverage company to really, you know, move forward and increase your demographic and your reach. Mm. Yeah. And you have pivoted, uh, as you said, in, in several stages, pivoted from the old school Belgian into more of the, the haze craze that is uh, around you, pivoted uh, from uh, from uh, keg into cans. Um, so so how how do you look upon the development of, of uh, Canadian uh, uh, beer scene? Uh, is everybody does everybody have to become a beverage company or or where is the sort of uh, where is the the Canadian beer market uh, going? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I think it's hard to speak for everyone. We've been lucky. Our ownership group and um, you know our access to finances when we needed to pivot, um, the ability of us to you know the, they gave us creative freedom to kind of do things and roll with it, and they've helped us along the way. So I think you know just having an ownership group or let's say financing behind you that allows you to pivot on the dime and make these decisions and having a core group of people that can make these quick decisions that need to happen and see where the trends are going, see what the industry is going. I think that's been very helpful for us and successful, just being able to being able to instantly be like, this is what we need to do. And the team goes, okay, let's make it happen. Yeah. And so I think that's been, you know, a huge part of our success. As far as the rest of the scene going, the scene goes, we're seeing an interesting trend right now of loggers resurging. Um, mm light alcohol beer things less than four percent um three and a half three and like we recently uh, we recently released a three and a half percent hazy pale ale Mm. and uh it flew off the shelves people loved it and you know it's like people still want the hops they want the aroma they want they want everything but they don't want the calories or they don't want the alcohol so what we're seeing in this post-pandemic life is a lot of um you know, lighter beers, lower calorie options. Uh, people seem, especially in Calgary, I can't speak for the rest of Canada, but people seem to be shying away from the high alcohol, high calorie, thick beer. Uh, and so mm. right now we're, we're playing a, a big lager game. We're doing Hellas lagers, Czech Pilsners, um, American style lagers, and um, they're doing really well for us. And mm. I see that in the rest of, yeah, even Canada, especially like we, we don't get a lot of exposure to Eastern Canada on Calgary. We basically get um, Calgary, um, and then a little bit to the West, all the way to the coast. And so we see a lot of influence from BC, which is a huge craft beer market and even some stuff from Washington and, uh, Oregon kind of filter into Calgary. So yeah, a lot of loggers out there. And so I think that's what people want these days. I think that's, I think that's interesting. You're saying that people are uh, maybe not looking for those uh, high calorie, uh, flavor bombs, but they still want the flavor there. And, uh, I'm, I'm wondering, uh, do you think that is a little bit connected with, uh, uh, with a brewery marketing themselves as the Olympics brewery <laughs> uh, uh, and what to turn into, or is it just the, uh, the audience that have, have changed their palates? I don't think it has much to do with our branding. And even saying all this, our IPAs are still our number one sellers. Like no yeah. matter how many loggers we sell, um, our IPAs, our hazies are still our top sellers. People will never get tired of that stuff. 
It's not just a fad, you know, it's been going on for a long time now. So that's always nice to see. I think it's just opening up to a different demographic, right? People want to drink craft beer, but not everyone likes a sour beer or an IPA. So I think it's just having accessible product for everyone that makes your brand more approachable, right? Mm. If all you have on tap is IPAs and stouts and you don't like IPAs and stouts, then why would you go drink beer there? Right. Yep. Uh, makes sense. It makes uh, makes total sense. Uh, and and with that in uh, in regards, what what is the sort of the the next five years for ADA look like? It's uh, uh, probably a super hard question, uh, seeing how much you have changed in the first five years of the brewery. But uh, but uh, what are some of the plans and some of the hopes that you have mm-hmm. for for um, for ADA? Yeah, this is a good question. And, you know, we've been having a lot of these conversations lately because the last five years have been insane, right? We've been growing, let's say, 20% year over year. And we're starting to see that 20% turn into 15% growth, 12% growth, which is still Mm -hmm. positive, but it doesn't merit opening, like doubling your size right now, right? Like doubling the size of your brewery right now, I don't think would be a great idea. So there's nothing in stone right now, but there's a lot of loose conversations. Do we open a satellite tap room somewhere else in the city, right? Do you mm-hmm. um, open a secondary little brew pub somewhere? Do you, yeah, I don't know. Do It's a hard question to ask. So right now yeah. we're just kind of, um, you know, we're going to just not grow for a minute and uh, <laughs> utilize the toys and the tools we have. And uh, we're really excited to see how the the next stage of 88 is our, uh, we're launching a, um, instead of doing tall boy, Hazy beers. We're going to launch a uh, short can, twelve pack of lagers. So like a box, a box, a box of lagers, and uh, we're going to send that out to the stores and see how that goes. And if that takes off, then we might lean a little bit more into lager production. Maybe consider horizontal lager tanks and uh, just put a little bit more effort into the lager program because right now we're very IPA hazy focused. So it's all about the hops. It's all Mm. about dry hopping processes. It's uh, you got to really baby those beers through. You know, they take a lot of attention. And lager, lagers are a long patience game. And so, yep. um, yeah, we might we might lean a little bit more into lager equipment, um, but we're just going to kind of see how it plays out over the next, let's say, year. Yeah. It sounds a little bit like you're, you're missing Hamburg uh, still there with yeah. all the lagers <laughs> in focus. <laughs> yeah, it's most of what the brewers drink is just, you know, if there's a Czech Pilsner on top, it's gone. If there's a German oh, yeah. lager on top, it's gone. The, the brewers <laughs> like that stuff. Yeah, that's that's for sure, and we uh, and most brewers know what they're doing as well. So I think maybe uh, more of the listeners should, uh, should check out some good craft <laughs> lagers as well. Hey, we so, still going to sell our hazies, so <laughs> yeah, it's the way it is. It's the way it is. <laughs> so uh, five years of uh, of craziness, uh, pivoting and uh, and trying to keep up with with uh, everything. What is if you can give our listeners like one advice in terms of uh, how to best control uh, and help a uh, a rapid growth in a in a brewery or production site what what would that be from your experience um i think focus on the major processes you mentioned bottlenecking um get a canning machine that can keep up like what's your largest tank size can you package that in a day mm-hmm. i think that's very important um i think it's quality control first and foremost if you if you're growing that fast that means you're selling beer that quickly and if you put a beer out there that's infected or contaminated, it's out on the shelves before you even realize what happened. Mm-hmm. And that's bad news. So if you're growing that rapidly, it takes one bad batch to, let's say, blow up on a shelf or turn sour. And I think that's a really good way to, you know, um, ruin your brand or um, really stop your momentum. So I think focusing on quality control can never be forgotten, no matter how fast you're growing. And so since that was our, our issue, we had to contract it out because we physically didn't have the time to do it ourselves. 
Um, but we put importance on that and made sure we're putting out clean beer. And as much as I hate to say it, dumping the bad batches, if you find a problem, it's like, let's not sit around and, you know, hum and haw, let's make a decision. Let's refill that tank and let's go. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think rapid growth is still about putting out positive or positively, you know, like clean product. Mm -hmm. And, uh, for us, the biggest things we've installed over the years of growth, we put in a, you know, a 30 ton grain silo. So instead of, we used to spend man hours every day, moving pallets of grain around milling in one bag at a time, 25 kilogram bags of Pilsner malt. And uh, so just this past year, we installed a 30 ton malt silo and that's been a game changer. The amount of man hours we're not spending moving pallets around building pallets and milling them in, you know? Mm. So that was a big one for us. The canning machine for sure. Um, We installed a reverse osmosis water system. And this doesn't really increase, let's say, production capacity, but it helps us really brew beers to style. And now with the Calgary water, we can brew an Irish stout. We can brew a Czech Pilsner. We can Mm -hmm. brew a New England IPA. Um, You know, we can now brew global beers to style. And that's been really exciting for us is just playing with uh, different water profiles and mouthfeels and seeing what that does to the final product. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, what you mentioned there in terms of... um, uh the man hours i think that's that's maybe a place where a lot of breweries can uh, can do some calculations and uh, and free up sometimes a little bit the idea of of the plato pro as well for for uh, for our part is of course freeing up the the manual sampling that you have to do uh, to have control but uh, there is easier and quicker and more efficient ways to do it than doing it uh, two times a day so uh, um, yeah and of course uh, the more work you have the more fires there are in the brewery and the, the more mm-hmm. chaos uh, and headless chickens running around the harder <laughs> the harder it is to remember those sort of uh, of uh, small things so uh, i think it's a good advice that to uh, to have a look at that as well yeah and i think at the end of the day another piece of advice for anyone that's rapidly growing or you know they're feeling that fire it's just like it's just beer you know <laughs> like sure it's everyone's livelihood it's your paycheck it's your company it's your investors but it's just beer right like take a minute take a breath it's, you yeah. know, like I've, I've felt that chaos. I've felt that panic. I've felt that stress, that pressure. Um, you mentioned mental health. Like we've all felt that, but just, you know, sit down and remind yourself. It's just beer. Mm. By the end of the day, it's just beer. It's just beer, right? <laughs> We're not saving lives out there. No, that's that's so, true. You know, hopefully, hopefully improving lives, but yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, one sip at a time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, or one lager at a time in your case now. Yeah, and, that's, yeah. the, that's the future, man. Yeah. All right, Danuan, uh, I'm not going to take more of your time. just want to say thank you for, for joining us, uh, sharing your story. And of course, the the, um, the bad sore in our Norwegian sport heart, which is Calgary. But more <laughs> importantly, uh, uh, sharing the, the journey that has been so far 88 Brewing. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's been quite the journey for myself as well. Thanks for having me. <laughs> thank you. Talk soon. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Bye. A big thank you to Donovan for sharing the 88 Brewing story and uh, his learnings from the rapid growth they have seen since opening. In this podcast, we have gone around the world of fermentation and the journey does not stop. So do not forget to subscribe. And as always, sharing is caring. So do feel free to share this with a co-worker or a friend. Until next time, have fun, drink well and take care.